Welcome to the Swim Swam Podcast. I'm today's host, Coleman Hodges, and joining us today, the head coach of Griffith University, all the way from Queensland in Australia, we're talking to Michael Bowl, aka Bowley, as you can see on, uh, <laughs> on his caption there if you're watching on video. Michael, how's it going? Very well, thanks. And you? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm I'm in Austin, Texas, which you uh, just told me you have visited a couple times to look at Eddie Reese's program. Uh, you've also visited uh, a, a couple other college programs in the U.S. Greg Meehan in Stanford and Bob Bowman at Arizona State. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like for you to visit these universities um, specifically? Or we can start with with Eddie Reese. Uh, who who has a legendary program. He's been in Austin, Texas for 40 years now. Um, and you got to come see him a couple times. You know, I've uh, known Eddie for quite a while. Uh, you know, Eddie's been around for uh, some time, and I think he's one of the only coaches from my memory that's won NCAA championships uh, in five decades, the 80s all the way through to 2020-something. So just very, very experienced and just that longevity um, you know, being at the top of his game, I think um, it's always enjoyable talking to him at, at uh, swim meets, like every time you compete internationally and Eddie's on the team, he always keeps you very entertained, got some great stories, but also some great information. So uh, we were lucky enough to go over after the final of the ISL when it was in Las Vegas. I just can't remember the year, might have been 2019 in December and spent about four days with him then. And then I went again last year. Uh, we were on a tour, Swimming Australia, put together a professional development tour. And um, Vince Raleigh, uh, Lee Nugent and myself, along with a whole lot of other coaches in Australia, they were, they were rugby coaches, um, Australian rules football coaches. There was a big tour of about maybe 10 to 12 coaches with, with three swimming coaches on there. So we did a lot of centralised lectures and then we splintered off and were able to pick um, you know, two or three programs that we wanted to visit. So we spent time with Greg at Stanford, Eddie in Texas, and also Bob uh, at Arizona State. That's, that's uh, I mean, I find that so cool that not only the Swimming Australia supports coaches in that way, um, but that you were able to see kind of the diversity of programs. I, I, I'm, I've visited all of those programs also and i feel like they're fairly different um but when you visit a program like that what are you looking for or or what are you what did you observe um from them or or pick up in in any in any facet well i think it's just looking at the different styles like i think with coaching there's no right or wrong way it's just what works for you and i think you know you're always looking for those one or two percent things so i think you know visiting bob in arizona um, it was just really good to see the way that he interacted with his other coaching staff that he had on deck there, just how professional, how well organised, um, you know, he he was. It was just, um, you know, we're only there for about four days. But, you know, just looking at Bob's, uh, Bob's manner, you know, just the way he coached um, and looking at the athletes, like he's just got some fantastic athletes in the program. So it was just really nice 
to watch and observe the athletes, um, you know, how they conducted themselves before they got in, uh, watching how they conducted themselves, how disciplined they were when they trained. Obviously, Leon Michard was one of the stars there. Chase Kalish, I've known for quite some time. Uh, obviously, Regan Smith and, um, you know, Herbie there as well with the sprint crew uh, with Simone Manuel and Ryan held on those athletes. So it was just great, um, you know, seeing and, and just watching on those four days. And we spent a little bit of time interacting as well. Um, you know, Bob took us, Vince and I, into his office on the Friday and there was a great coaching exchange of ideas. Bob brought most of his assistant coaches in and we just sat around a table and spoke about swimming and, and, and sets and sessions and what our philosophies were. And it was great, um, you know, for us to pick up um, little bits and pieces from Bob and his coaches. Yeah. I, I mean, especially the fact from a, from a swimming fan perspective um, <laughs> that, that you two coached the two greatest backstroke, female backstrokers in history uh, who are currently go head to head on, on several occasions and that you're able to not only sit down and have a conversation about swimming, but to, you know, he, you were able to go into his program and see how he does things. And I don't think in, in all sports or maybe even in all situations in swimming, people would allow that or welcome that. And I think it's very cool that that, that was able to happen. Um, and that you guys are just like, Hey, this is how I do things. All right, cool. This is how I do things. And you're able to have a conversation about that. Well, I think, you know, Bob's always been very giving. You've only got to go on the internet and you can have a look at all the lectures and talks that he's given at various associations around the U S uh, and overseas. You know, he's, he's a very giving person and, um, you know, there aren't too many secrets. Like I think, you know, um, obviously we're all doing things very similarly, but I think it's, you know, Bob's, um, you know, just his connection with the athletes. And I think, you know, looking at the way that his athletes just have got total trust, um, you know, just in the way uh, Bob, uh, you know, Bob's presence there at the pool, you can just see the, the great interaction there he's got between, uh, you know, the athletes and himself. Yeah. Uh, so then, uh, like you said, someone who's won one in five different decades um, in Eddie Reese. Uh, you told me you liked Austin, which I, I think anyone who comes is easy. It's easy to like. Um, but what did you feel like you gained from that experience of visiting uh, the University of Texas? Well, I think they're two very different coaches, as you said. Um, you know, Eddie, both of the coaches, uh, you know, just tremendously experienced. But, um, you know, Eddie is probably a little bit more laissez-faire. Like Bob seems to be very meticulously organized with sessions and session design. Uh, and the way Eddie operates, um, you know, he has got so much information in his head. He, he thinks a lot about what he's going to do with the athletes, but um, it's not till he he watches the athletes in warm-ups. And you can see this great interaction where he's moving people out of this lane to that lane. He's looking at the way they're warming up and he's making decisions on the spot based off the look of the athlete and how they're, how they're speaking, how they're communicating to him as to what session they'll do for that afternoon. So I just think that is a great lesson in itself to me. Like, you know, coaching, I think, is an art and a science. And Eddie has got the science background, but he's very much an artist of a coach. Like he, you know, he's just able to read the athletes so well. Um, and, you know, talking to him at the pool over the years, it's just incredible. I think, you know, 
over the last couple of Olympics that Eddie's been to, I've, I've spent many, you know, many an hour in the um, dining hall sitting, talking to Eddie and, and just trying to, um, you know, get on to as much information as I can for someone with, with such great results and such great experience. So um, it was just interesting to see, like, you know, there's no cookie cutter approach to coaching. I just think it's, you know, it's you with your philosophy, uh, with your philosophy and then, you know, trying to sell that philosophy to your athletes and, you know, the athletes have got to, have got to follow the captain and, um, you know, you can very much see that when uh, Eddie's on the pool, they all, all eyes are on him. And he, you know, he's a really good at getting the uh, attention of the athletes and you can really see the respect uh, that his athletes have for him. That's, it's interesting that you bring up philosophy and, and that you bring up um, just approaching to coaching, <laughs> approaches to coaching. Uh, that, that was actually one thing that I was interested in asking you about just because, uh, again, I'm from the U.S., I've never even been to Australia. That's certainly on my list of places to visit. But uh, I, I'm interested in in how you view yourself um, in terms of approach and philosophy of coaching. Um, you know, every like you said, everyone brings different things to the table through their background. Um, you know, what they studied at a university, perhaps, or uh, what they what their first job was. You know, it could be math, it could be engineering, it, it could be art, right? It could be painting. Um, wh what do you feel like you bring to the table in terms of that artistry of coaching? Um, and, and perhaps maybe that makes you stand out as a coach as well. Wow. Um, I think, um, I guess I've, tr I've tried to learn from the coaches who I swam under. And I, I actually swam for a while over in the States. I was at University of Southern Illinois in Carbondale um, back in 1981 and 82 for a period of time there. So Bob Steele was the coach there. So I think, you know, learning from Bob, Bob was a, a real practical joker. Um, you know, always loved the jokes and just had great presence on the pool deck. Um, very good communicator. Um, had, a, had a big uh, a big group of international swimmers. There were swimmers from Sweden and England and, South America, Colombia, Argentina, um, you know, some very, very good international swimmers. And it was a real family uh, program. And I think um, that's what I probably picked up from Bob. My, you know, my other coaches in Australia, Laurie Lawrence, Bill Sweetenham, I think very, uh, very aerobic, very endurance-based, uh, you know, programs. You know, back in the old days, in the 80s, when I was swimming, whether you were doing 1,500 metres or 50, everyone did the same thing. And I think it was probably to the detriment of, uh, you know, some of the great sprinters that we had in those programs. But I think over time, we probably learned over the last 10 years or so about, um, you know, specialisation and individualising programs, trying to tailor make programs for the athletes uh, that you've got in there. So I think, you know, I try and combine what I said before, I guess, that art and science. I think it's not just science. You've got to be able to read the athletes that are in the program. So it's a really big part of what I try and do. It's, you know, trying to get, uh, you know, down to every level of the athlete, you know, trying to um, not necessarily be friends with them, but, you know, know, uh, you know, the athletes hopefully know that you care about them as, uh, you know, people first and as athletes second. I think that's a really important part of what I try and do. And it's trying to brush yourself up in terms of sports science, trying to get yourself as knowledgeable as you can to a point. Um, in my mind, if you go too much down the science track, I think you can, you can uh, get lost as well. 
And I, I, I think you can wrap, wrap your athletes up in cotton wool too much. Um, um, I think, you know, you've got to be, uh, you know, very challenging, you know, trying to get athletes onto podiums at Olympic Games. It's not an easy task. It's a very hard task. And you've got to understand as a coach, there's other coaches out there in all different corners of the globe now that are trying to do exactly the same thing. So you need to to be very, um, you know, challenging with the athletes that you've got in there. And I think you've got to be very understanding of the differences. Like in our program, we've got someone that's almost 30 and Emma McCann and Kaylee McEwen, who's only 22. And those athletes don't do the same thing. You know, they're both very, very good swimmers, both individual Olympic gold medalists. But I think you have to have a different strategy and approach with the 29-year-old athlete who'll be 30 at the next Olympics if she makes it on the team. And then a 22-year-old athlete who's, who's uh, you know, swimming very well at the moment. So I think, you know, back when I was swimming, there wasn't that individual approach. But now I think, um, you know, the the coaches that are doing a really good job are, are, are looking for those different athletes and trying to come up with programs that best suit the individuals that are that are presented before you. So as, as a head coach of a very elite group with a lot of, like you said, different athletes who are at different points in their career, who, who are all very fast, uh, but yeah, different points in their career and different ages. Um, I'm curious as just to kind of the format of your group in terms of how many other coaches do you have on deck and how many different workouts uh, per training session are you running you know, for someone like Emma McKeon versus someone like Kaylee McEwen? Yeah, we try and split the group up into three different groups. So there's a sprint group and there's about three or four athletes in the program that are in that. We've only got about maybe 16 swimmers uh, in our program. So it's only a, a, a sort of um, elite high performance group. There's about three or four in the sprint group. There's maybe another eight or so in the middle distance group. And the distance group have about three or four athletes in that. So what we try and do most sessions is we try and warm up together as a group because I think it's important uh, that there's some interaction between the groups. And I think, you know, doing that team warm up where we can, not all the time, but I'd say 90% of the time we warm up in, uh, as a group and then we just splinter off into sprint, middle distance and distance. Um, I've got another coach in the group there, Janelle Pallister. It's Lani's mum, actually. Janelle was an Olympian. Uh, <clears throat> let me think, back in 1988 at the Seoul Olympics, she was one of our top 800, 1,500 metre, 400 metre uh, female athletes. She still does a very good job on things like, um, you know, she's really big into the, um, uh, you know, core uh, dry land training regime. You know, she does up our our uh, core routine with, with the athletes, and we do that maybe twice a week. We've got a specialised strength and conditioning coach, Matt Ferrara, that uh, looks after the strength and conditioning stuff, but Janelle's got an interest in the dry land, and she takes a lot of pride in putting that up, and the kids are really enjoying doing doing that with her at the moment. Uh, and there's a lot of other people that uh, interact in the program as well. The Queensland Academy of Sport uh, support our program in terms of staff, so we've got a couple of biomechanics uh, experts that come in a couple of times a week. Jess Caroni's from Swimming Australia comes in a couple of times a week as well. And, and you know, because there's about 15 or 16 athletes, it's a bit hard. Uh, one person looking after 16 athletes 
for biomechanics expertise and for skill acquisition, all that sort of stuff. So we try and divide the swimmers up into threes or fours and each of those experts look after three or four swimmers. Uh, we've got someone who's expert in diet and nutrition that works with the group as well that helps with making sure the athletes are eating the right stuff and making sure that they're energized before training, that, you know, they're eating the right food and, uh, you know, sort of replenishing glycogen and, and um, you know, looking after themselves in terms of that. So there's a number of different people we have that come in and, come in and interact, um, both from Swimming Australia, but also from the Queensland Academy of Sport. That's extensive, which is, which is great. And I, I think, uh, what you would expect from a program of your caliber who that, that's producing athletes that are doing the things that your athletes are doing, like, as you said before, getting on podiums at world championships and Olympics. Um, okay. A couple follow-ups from, from this blurb. Number one, just on the nutrition side, is there, you, you've been in swimming for a long time now, as you said, is there something on the nutrition side that, that maybe just in the last decade or so that has struck you as, as very helpful or maybe a trend that has, that, that is, uh, in vogue right now, or that you've noticed that has really helped your athletes? I think, uh, I think, you know, what we're doing at the moment a little bit is, is just thinking about the session that's coming up a little bit more and making sure that the amount of energy that they're taking in via food is going to satisfy the demand of the session that's happening in the evening or the following day. Um, one of the things that our nutritionist sort of brought up, Monday is quite a big day for us at training. We swim in the morning. Uh, we do gym after swimming. And then we swim again in the afternoon. And he thought a lot of our athletes weren't, uh, weren't eating appropriately after swimming in the morning, like after having gone anywhere between sort of five and six kilometres on Monday morning, he felt they were going straight into the gym and spending an hour in the gym, and that was not getting him in the best possible presented shape for Monday afternoon session. So what he started doing now is putting on like a barbecue breakfast, a healthy one, of course, uh, at the pool on the Monday morning after training. And i got to say, it's only been going on for the last six weeks. But it's made a really big difference to what we're doing. I think it, it not only is good for the nutrition-wise, but I think bringing the group together as a unit and having a meal together on that Monday morning is just a great way to start off the, the, the week. They all can't wait to scramble out of the pool Monday morning, put their, put their gear on and go straight to the barbecue to get a nice healthy breakfast and then um, you know head to the gym straight after that. So I think... I can see the benefits of that. And I think they're all feeling like they are getting benefit from that because that Monday, we do gym on Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. And Monday afternoon is the only afternoon that, that we swim on the day that we do gym. So we don't swim uh, Wednesday and Friday afternoon. So Greg Cox, our nutritionist, along with Amy, I come up with the idea of this. And as I said, it's only been going for you know just under two months, but I can, I can already see the uh, benefits. So... I think a, a lot of what they're talking about now is really looking at your week and how you're structuring it and making sure you're getting in the correct nutrients. So when that glycogen's down to a very, very low level, you, you're topping up that glycogen store and getting ready for the next day. So it's really eating well on Monday to make sure Tuesday's good, really eating well on Wednesday to make sure Thursday's good, et cetera, et cetera. And it's something that I really didn't think about much before. Uh, but I think it's, it's, it's really starting to make a difference to what we're doing at training. 
And that's, I, I'm guessing all sports have a component of this, but this, it's such a momentum thing, right? That if, like you said, if Wednesday is good, then, then Thursday might be good. Or, you know, that's, it's going to set Thursday up well. Um, and especially nutritionally, you know, if, if you've got, if you've got energy for that, then it, it feels like it's a good way to set up momentum, especially just when you're planning for the week. Um, so thank you for that insight. I, I really, I, I like that answer a lot. And I think what we're trying to do, Coleman, as well, like, you know, we're trying to put through the week from Monday to Saturday as many good sessions as we can together. Mm-hmm. I think when I first started coaching, I kind of made the mistake of, of waiting too heavily the first three days of the week and the last half of the week wasn't done very well. So if you look at the 16 weeks of a, of a, a training block, I was probably getting in 16 half weeks instead of 16 full weeks. So I, as a coach, I guess I'm, I'm really looking for the athletes, you know, doing a great job from Monday through to Saturday. I sort of feel if they're not finishing the week off well on a Saturday that they haven't recovered themselves well enough through the week. So it's, it's, it's sort of something I've been trying to push a little bit more for the last few, uh, you know, few years. And we're, and we're definitely seeing some, um, you know, some better results through having um, actions and stuff. So that's uh, 16-week training blocks. Um, why does that number work for you? And can you tell me a little bit about how you set, set up a 16 week training block? Well, I just use 16 weeks as an example. It could be 12 weeks or 14 weeks or 15 (laughs) weeks. It's just how the, it's just how the season falls really, isn't it? Hmm. Um, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, a bit of a, you know, a bit of a traditionalist, I suppose. I like, um, you know, starting out the season with, um, you know, getting the swimmers aerobically fit both in the water and on the land. So, you know, that aerobic conditioning to me is, it's really the cornerstone of what we do. It's, you know, making sure that that aerobic system uh, is working uh, at its prime. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of programs now are, are probably not paying as much attention to the aerobic stuff, but I, you know, I've just got this feeling that the aerobic stuff to me is is a critical, and especially if you've got people that are doing multi-events like, you know, someone like Emma, I think at the Olympics you might have had 13 or 14 races, if that aerobic system isn't functioning at its best, those people are going to fall over towards the end of the meet. So I I just think to me for everything else to fall into place, that aerobic system has got to be working at its prime. It's it's funny because we we talk about that a lot. You know, it's uh, in the NCAAs, it's a three and a half day meet, but swimmers, the, the top swimmers are swimming, I think, 13 or 14 times. Um, at the Olympics, World Championships, eight eight day meet, nine day meet this time around in Paris. Top swimmers are swimming, I think, a, a similar number of events, you know, upwards of twelve to thirteen uh, times throughout that eight or nine days. Um, and you know, you don't usually think of sprinters as aerobically fit, or or just people who are swimming uh, shorter events, you know, as you don't think of their training as, as aerobic. Um, do, is there a difference to you between getting a sprinter aerobically fit versus, versus someone who's doing a 400 or an 800 or a mile, sorry, or a 1500, uh, you know, aerobically fit for those events? Well, I think, I think the aerobic system to me is important for all events. You know, even, even the 50, it's a very small aerobic part of it, but I still think, uh, it's a part. Uh, 
So I think, you know, what you're going to do as a coach is just work out, you know, and just portion each event from 50 to 1500 as a combination of uh, aerobic and anaerobic. So I guess each coach individually has to think about the percentages. And I think you've got to program accordingly. Like obviously someone that's just training for the 50, um, you know, giving them a stack of aerobic work isn't going to help them swim fast over a 50. But I think you can't bypass the fact that there is an aerobic component to doing a 50 that, you know, that, um, you know, it's important that their aerobic level of fitness is up to a good level because their ability to be able to remove lactate isn't quite as good if they're not aerobically fit. So I just think it's, it is different, I think, for the, you know, for the 100 metre people and the 1500 metre uh, you know, people, there's no question about that. Um, but I still think, you know, both are still very, very important for each of those athletes. Like we know at the Olympics, it's not just doing one 100, it's doing three 100s. And if you haven't, uh, you know, ticked all the boxes with all of your energy systems, I think you're going to fall over when you're lining up at high level meets like Olympic Games and World Championships. So, um, you know, they're different. It's different. It's definitely different. But I still, th uh, uh, I still don't think you can neglect, uh, you know, the importance of having a really good aerobic system. I know Hawkey's been on it. He's been on it for a while about, you know, pushing this. It's a waste of time doing aerobic work. Uh, I don't tend to agree with that line of thinking. I'm, I'm probably one of the old school coaches, but, uh, you know, I still believe that, um, uh, you know, that aerobic, aerobic fitness to me is still very, very important. Yeah. So, so I'm curious about, I guess, a specific instance of this. Um, obviously, we came off world championships and then in October we have, you had the world cup series where uh, among others, Kaylee McEwen was the winner uh, of the overall world cup series. You know, she, she broke world yeah. several multiple world records um, in, in her run of just a three meet series. And uh, I'm curious what you, how you planned uh, her her schedule over this meet series, you know, it's like how, how you trained her leading up to it. And then also during the, the world cup when she was in Europe, um, as well as just kind of your general philosophy on racing a lot, which we've, we've seen, I think a lot more of in the past five years for high level athletes versus training a lot and racing occasionally. Well, I think we had about eight weeks uh, from the World Championships finishing uh, to when the World Cup started. So I guess we had about two weeks uh, where the athletes really didn't do any swimming at all. They really had a little bit of a break that first week. The second week of the break, they did a little bit of gym. Then we had about six weeks before we left uh, to go over to Europe. And I think I kind of ummed and ahed. I wasn't really sure about going over to the World Cups, but I just thought, because we're not going to the World Championships next year in Doha, this was really the last opportunity that our swimmers in Australia had to experience uh, a big overseas flight, dealing with the time zone change, dealing with jet lag and getting up and racing, which is what we've got to do at the Olympics. Like obviously Paris uh, next year in 2024, probably one of the hardest things, you know, for us is to... Um, adjust to a time zone and get over the jet lag. It's a long way, obviously, from Paris to Australia. So any practice that you have in dealing with both jet lag and time change is a good thing. And I think it was far enough removed 
from the Olympics to go for it. So we decided to go. We had six athletes from our program that went. Uh, and what we essentially did was four weeks of uh, basic aerobic work. And then the two weeks before we departed, we started to do a little bit more race-specific stuff. Um, and then we travelled. We got there on the Saturday, the week before the first meet. And as we know, that World Cup series was a series of three meets. It was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, sort of three weekends in a row. So we arrived the week before on the Saturday. We had a light swim on the Sunday um, after we got in. The pool was only available for one session on that Monday. Then we had the Tuesday, we did two. The Wednesday, we did one. The Thursday, we did one. And then raced on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect, to be honest with you, but um, pleasantly surprised <laughs> with the results. Like I, I really didn't think, um, you know, Kaylee in particular and Lani swam three PBs and Katie Simpson swam a PB as well uh, in his 100 freestyle. I, I was quite pleasantly surprised uh, with the way they went. Um, that first meet was in Berlin. They all swam relatively well at that first meet. And the following day, Monday, we just had a light swim in the morning on the Monday. We did gym. On the Monday afternoon, we did two sessions on the Tuesday. We did, did swim again on the Wednesday, just one session, followed by our second gym session. We normally do three gym sessions, so we just did two while we're away. And um, uh, the Thursday before the meet, we just did one session. We toured around with doing two, uh, but we just did one. And then race Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then just kept repeating the same thing for sort of three weekends. I guess the difficult thing was after Berlin, the very next morning on the Monday, um, you know, we had to swim and then and then get the gym in, but then we had to get an international flight down to Athens the next day. So I think all that travelling was the thing that really fatigued the athletes. So I think what, what we spoke about before we left was just Monday and Tuesday we were going to use as recovery from the competition the three days before. And then really the Wednesday and the Thursday was just race preparation work. So pace work, dive 25s, pace work, that sort of stuff on the Wednesday and the Thursday. And then Friday, hop up and race and sort of see how you go. Um, so, you know, it turned out turned out really good. Uh, you, know, um, you know, sort of like I said, most of the guys that we had go over, you know, did a really good job of um, holding those three weekends together. Um, Kaylee was probably the best, you know, every – competition she got faster in both the 50 the 100 and the 200 i don't know if that was by design or whether she paced herself paced herself well i'm you know not exactly sure but um you know she was just really resolute over there and it was just good to see the way that she was to uh, you know just getting in there and keeping lining up and and doing kind of quality performances from meet one all the way through to meet three yeah i think that's one of the unique parts about the world cup series. Um, we certainly saw this in ISL as well, but you know, you just get that back-to-back -back racing, um, and you get to practice doing the same events over and over and over in a relatively short time period. Um, versus, you know, I think for, a, for a professional swimmer in the U S in a typical format, you know, you're kind of racing once a month sort of thing. Whereas like you said, the world world cup this year, you're racing three times in three weekends, you know, which is 16 days, um, I think. And so, uh, like you said, uh, Kaylee McEwen just kept getting better each weekend. And I'm curious what you picked up from her, um, 
the, from her racing habits um, or just from what you feel like she needs for the rest of the season leading into this Olympic year um, from those three weekends? I just think, you know, she really proved to herself that, um, you know, she could still swim fast, um, you know, without a big block of preparation before. And I think it's probably the culmination of the last 12 months training that she's done. You know, she swam relatively well um, over the last 18 months or so. But I, I think I was sort of seeing better things in training than I was seeing at the competition. Um, obviously, the World Championships this year in Fukuoka got off to a bit of rocky start with that 200 medley. It it kind of knocked her on a, a backside for a little bit, but she, you know, she duked up again and and swam really well uh, for those last few few swims. But um, like I think it, it, you know, just just showed her that uh, you know that that uh, you know she can swim well off um, you know a, a small preparation, a big preparation, you know, whatever the preparation is, she uh, you know just gets up and races. So I think that's one of her strengths, you know, she's, she's a, you know, she's a very good competitor. Um, you know, she's a great trainer, great racer. Um, you know, she's getting a little bit more confident in herself. I think, you know, when you're getting up and, and swimming, um, you know, a lot of good swims, I think she's done something like, I think, I think we counted nine fifty sevens this year for a hundred backstrokes. So she's done, um, you know, quite a few this year, just very consistent, very high level. Um, so it's just good for a confidence, I think was the big thing. For her and I think you know, um, you know, Lani as well was the same thing. I think it was probably very difficult for Lani being a 1500 meter, 800 meter swimmer without that big block of work before it. She had a bit of a disappointing world championships. We had a few things go wrong before it, but um, you know, she was able to dust herself off and and uh, line up at the World Cups and put together some good swims. I think she did two PBs and a I better get this right, she'll, she'll kill me. I think she did two PBs and a in her 400, just little shave-offs, and then had a good drop in her in her 800. She might have gone two in her 800 as well, actually. So I think, um, you know, she's come back with a, you know, with a fair bit of confidence, but she's still got a lot of hard work to do. Obviously, there's very good people um, swimming in those distance events. There's some people on the rise, and, um, you know, we're very aware of that. So uh, um, I think it's just, you know, just a good confidence builder. And 957s in the 100 meter backstroke this calendar year, which four years ago, that was the world, you know, there had been one person who went 57 once, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's as a coach over time, you know, you've obviously worked with a lot of high level athletes, a lot of athletes who have broken barriers or, or done things that have never been done before. Um, as a coach throughout your decades of experience, how do you, how have you um, grown your level of imagination when you're approaching these athletes in terms of getting them as well as yourself to think outside of the box or, or, or not think in terms of what's already been done, but what they as an athlete can, can accomplish. Uh, because as you just said, Kayla McEwen was doing things in practice that you're like, well, this doesn't really add up to what I've seen you do in races. What, what we've seen her do in races, you know, is, is really, really good. <laughs> like is, is some of the fastest performances of all time. And yet as a coach, you're still like, th there's a lot more here. I don't know about a lot more, but I think a little bit more, hopefully. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. like I think, you know, you, you, you know, you just never know, but I think, you know, it's a, 
I think it, it takes a period of time for an athlete to get used to a coach. You know, obviously, Kaylee's had a couple of, um, you know, great coaches. She had John Wallace, who was a coach on the Sunshine Coast, all the way through her age group years. His daughter was an Olympian, Tessa. Uh, he did a great job with her. Chris Mooney was the coach after that. Chris did an absolute, uh, you know, massive job with Kaylee, but his philosophy was a bit different with that 21-day cycle he does. And I think, you know, she's come back to more of a regular, um, you know, cycle in what she does. And I think she struggled with that a little bit to start with because she was so ingrained with that 21-day cycle that they were doing. And I just think over time, you know, you get to know each other, um, you get confident in the athlete, they get more confident in what you're doing. And I think that partnership, um, you know, tends to foster and flourish when you have a little bit of success. So, uh, you know, hopefully, um, you know, Kaylee can keep improving. Um, obviously, there's, you know, people swimming very fast around the world. You can't uh, underestimate anyone. And it's it's just trying to get her in the best possible shape she can be in Paris uh, at the best level she can get to in, in all areas, you know, strength, skill, swimming speed, endurance, just all those different things. You're trying to push the envelope and everything. And I think like you were just saying before, I think if you keep taking the well-trodden path, you get the same thing. I think sometimes you've got to be a little bit, uh, you know, sort of adventurous and try different things. And yeah, it mightn't always work, uh, but I think you know, you're trying to get to levels that other people aren't at. So I think you've got to be able to, to stretch, you know, stretch the kids uh, without breaking them, of course. But, um, you know, if you're going to get, um, you know, to that level that we're all trying to get to, it's, um, you know, to me it happens in the training pool. Um, so that, that um, you know, training block that we've got between now and Paris is just critical. Um, obviously not every session is going to be 10 out of 10, but, you know, the more nines that you can put in, you know, you don't want to see any sevens or sixes, but the more nine out of tens that you can put in, I think, you know, the better position you're going to be in at the end. Uh, are there do you do you have do you have hobbies you know are there things that you uh are there things that you do outside of swimming or outside of being on the pool deck that help your mind relax or help you get into a creative space where you can you know take a step back and see things from a different point of view um when you are again coaching athletes that are doing things that have never been done before and, and you kind of need a fresh perspective I love drinking red wine, <laughs> but apart from that, I think I, I kind of like walking. I, um, you know, go on a walk by myself. Sometimes I take one of my daughters with me. I go for about two and a half hours on a Sunday, and most of the times I'm on my own because the daughter that goes with me wasn't the swimmer; it was the other daughter I've got, and um, she's uh, she's living in Brisbane now, so I don't see her as much. But um, when I'm on my own, I just think. And, you know, we've all got problems as coaches in our programs. We're trying to solve We're trying to solve the problems that we've got. Um, you know, it might be someone who's in a bad patch and, and, you know, you're trying to think of ways to get them better. And I think that walking for me when I'm exercising a little bit, that really helps me think. I don't put music on. I, I just try and get inside my own head and just think about the different athletes that I've got in my program and how I can solve the problems that I've got. Uh, within the 16 swimmers that I've got. So that's one thing. Our swimmers, when they do gym, I do a little bit of a routine. I um, For the first hour of gym for 30 minutes, I get on the treadmill for six minutes and do a few push-ups and, and work through that for about half an hour. Then the last half an hour, I blend in with the swimmers and watch them do gym. So I think those sorts of things 
doing those things, uh, you know, whether they're hobbies or not, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, doing things that, uh, you know, give me alone time a little bit uh, where I can just analyse and, you know, Sunday afternoons, one of those times as well, you know, where I just sit down on a computer and I just watch other swimmers, you know, YouTube's a wonderful thing. I'll get on and have a look at old footage of Michael Phelps and Alexander Popov and, you know, different swimmers and how they how they looked in the water, how they swam and try and educate myself a little bit uh, in uh, that regard. I'll call up, I call up Eddie Reese a lot and talk to him about coaching and we share training sessions and sets. And I used to do the same thing with Greg Troy where we had, you know, had, had a little bit of a program exchange when he was coaching Elizabeth Beisel and uh, Ryan Lochte. I had Stephanie Rice at the time and we kind of exchanged sessions, which I think is really stimulating to do as well. Because I think as a coach, you know, you tend to get into a pattern. And sometimes, you know, when you talk to someone on the other side of the world, they can give you a little bit better insight and maybe give you a little bit of information that you can run with with your squad for that afternoon. So I guess they're the things I really do. I, I don't really do too much else. It's... Um, I'm lucky. I've got the I've got the beach right out in front of my house. So uh, you know the walking trail for me, it's just water all the way along. You know it's beach. Um, you know from the moment I leave to the moment I get back. So I, I find that very very relaxing as well. Man, brag about it. <laughs> That's, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> You've got to come in and visit Tom. It's pretty nice out here. We're very lucky. It's uh it's top of list. Trust me. <laughs> it's uh I would I would love to sometime. Um, so that, yeah, it, it makes sense. You know, I think exercise helps a lot, right? Just kind of get those juices flowing, um, which is, which is good to hear. Do you, as a swimmer, I was a very medium swimmer and then I, I, I started coaching and I was teaching six, six year olds how to swim, you know, or they, they knew how to swim, but I was coaching six year olds. And in like the first few months of coaching, I learned more than I did in my nine years as a competitive swimmer, right? I, it's, I, I learned so much more about the sport, about my own swimming, um, than I ever had as an athlete. And I'm curious, uh, a, if, if, if you ever get in the water now as, as seeing as you were a swimmer, but B, um, what that transition was like for you and and how how you learned differently as an athlete than you did as a coach i can still remember 1987 um an old swimming coach who actually taught me to swim actually cheryl humphreys her name is she called me up her and her husband had the lease of the queensland university at St. lucia swimming pool and she called me up in about February of uh, 1987 and said, look, I think you'd make a good coach because she was looking at phasing out. And I said, oh, Cheryl, I'm not really interested in um, coaching. I want to finish off my physical education degree. I want to teach and go on, get a job in a school, uh, et cetera, et cetera. She said, look, just come down and meet the swimmers. And I went down to the pool and, and met the swimmers and just, uh, you know, fell in love with the kids that were there at the pool and, uh, you know, really enjoyed uh, you know, their, their, their company, uh, their enthusiasm for the sport. Um, so I ended up, you know, to cut a long story short, working for Alan and Cheryl for the first couple of years of my coaching at that University of Queensland pool at St. Lucia. That's what gave me my, my break. So it was funny. I had no intention of coaching at all, but ended up uh, coaching. 
And um, I remember part of my role was looking after the squad. There were about 40 or 50 swimmers in that squad. And then after that squad finished being in a university, they had a sport and rec association. And part of my job was to coach that group of uh, sport and rec swimmers for an hour straight after the squad. And there were about 90 people in the squad ranging in age from 17 first year university people to university lecturers that were in their 60s and 70s. I had three lanes. I had about 30 swimmers in a lane. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And uh, I somehow managed to get through, bluff my way through an hour of working with people that could hardly swim all the way through to people who were trying to break master's world records. So I think I kind of learned uh, on the job, uh, you know, learned how to coach big numbers. Uh, then when I was at St. Peter's, I was at St. Peter's Lutheran College for about 14 years and we had over 200 swimmers in the program there. So that kind of, um, you know, brought my mind back to when I first started coaching at uh, University of Queensland at St. Lucia. But uh, I think, you know, learning on the job, I've also had the great uh, honour of having people coach alongside me. Peter Gartrell, who's a great mate of mine, he's no longer doing too much coaching in Australia now. But he was a very, very good coach, an underrated coach, and he taught me a lot about physiology. Uh, Peter um, started out doing medicine. He did medicine for two or three years and dropped out, but his knowledge of physiology was really applied. He was a swimmer himself, and he was able to dumb it down to be able to explain it to me in layman's terms. So I was able to, to kind of get a lot of the you know different things, you know, Krebs cycles and all those different things that we use now. Um, so I'm very much indebted to Peter and coaches like, um, you know, Dennis Cottrell. You know, Dennis Cottrell is one of our greatest coaches out here in Australia. And, uh, you know, uh, we've got a big meet called the Queensland Championships that's about two and a half weeks away. And that meet goes for seven days. So during that seven days, you've always got dead spots where you're sitting around for an hour, an hour and a half. I used to nuzzle in beside Dennis when I was a young second or third year coach and just ask him question after question after question about training methodology, technique, sets, just everything. And I'd uh, you know, be standing beside him and just listening the way that he was talking to athletes before they raced, how he watched their race, what he was looking for. When they came to Dennis after the race, how he spoke to them. So learning all those different skills have really held me in good stead and probably contributed a lot to the coach I am today. So I think learning from others to me, uh, is a really big thing. And, I've, you know, I've been very, very lucky to have some great people that have taught me the ropes along the way. Let's let, let's break off for a second. Queensland Championships. Tell me, tell me a little bit about this meet because I think, again, in the U.S. we have the NCAA. Um, high school swimming is also very big here. Uh, but I don't – I get culturally – I don't really – have context for the Queensland championships. What does it, what does it mean to the athletes or the coaches? Um, and how do you prepare for that meet? You know, is that a meet that you guys put a fair amount of emphasis on, or is it just kind of a meet that you attend? Well, I think, you know, just to give you a bit of history, like Queensland is the best performing state in Australia. New South Wales were very, very strong. Obviously, you know, we're Ian Thorpe, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you know, back in the sort of 2000s of that. But Queensland is quite dominant now. And I guess, you know, you look at all the great athletes Queensland produced over the years. And I, I probably shouldn't start to name, but I will because you'll probably forget some. But, you know, you go back to 84, John O'Seaven winning the goal. He was a Queenslander. 
88, Duncan Armstrong ring the goal. He was a Queenslander, 92, Kieran, 96. I shouldn't have done this. It's going to get me in a lot of trouble. My memory's fading a bit. 96, I think it was Kieran, mm-hmm. Susie O'Neill, 2000. Once again, it was uh, yeah, Susie O'Neill and Kieran, Kieran Perkins, 2004, Jody Henry, the, uh, Libby Trickett, 2008, Stephanie Rice, uh, Jessica Shipper, like a lot of really good swimmers over the years. And, you know, you, you fast forward through to now with Emma and, and Molly O'Callaghan and, um, you know, all those great swimmers that we've had uh, over the years have been from Queensland. So it's a big history of swimming in uh, Queensland. And every December we've got a week-long meet. It starts on a Saturday. So that Saturday the 9th is a relay day where there's just relays. That's all there is. Heats in the morning. No, there's not heats in the morning for the relays. It's straight out finals, I beg your pardon. Straight out finals for the relays. And the next day, the Sunday, the 10th of December, is when all the races start. And I think really from a younger swimmer's perspective, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, the Queensland Championships for the Olympics. But the older swimmers, it's just a meet that's six months out of the Olympic trials. So you're using it as a meet to help prepare your athletes for the Olympic trials, but it's of no real significance because it's so far removed and so far away from the Olympic trials. So it's a meet that, um, you know, we come together. It's a week-long meet that goes, as I said, Saturday the relay, Sunday it starts. The open races go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And there might be a couple of 50s in the Thursday, but the age group races extend through to the following Friday. And I don't know exactly how many swimmers swim, but the heat start in the morning at about 8 o'clock and go till 2 o'clock. And then the finals at night time go from 6 till 9. So it's about seven days straight of racing. It's a very, very big meet in the peak of summer, like Queensland, the temperature through the state titles will be somewhere up around about 30, 31, 32 degrees Celsius, which is probably in the early 90s. So it's very hot, very humid, very uncomfortable. Uh, but it's a meat that we've used to try and toughen our kids up and harden our kids up. When you look at the Olympic Games being an eight or a nine-day competition, like the state titles is a great segue, you know, for our athletes to be able to handle a meat like the Olympic Games. So, um, you know, we all really like it. Uh, it's exciting going there. Not all of our kids always, the older ones always swim fast because, most coaches normally just drop tape of the athletes and, and you know, see how they go at the end of it. But um, it's an exciting meet. Um, so I think you know, every every coach of every program in Queensland that's at the, you know, medium to high level will be there. Uh, it's quite an aspirational meet. And to me, it's very good to see the likes of Kate Campbell and, and those sorts of athletes, you know, being there with the young 12-year-olds. Like those young 12-year-olds will stand in line, 20 of them to get autographs of those older swimmers. So I think it's... It's quite an inspirational and it's an aspirational meet for the, you know, for the young Queensland people. And we have a number of international athletes. There's always a lot of athletes from Japan and we've had athletes from Canada and the States uh, have come over for it before. So it's a, you know, it's a, you know, quite high caliber meet. The, uh, my first, my follow up question was going to be like, do you have to live in Queensland to, to go? No, so you answered no, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You've that that painted quite a picture. The, I I feel like I know that meet. I feel like I've been to that meet. Um, so th- th- it's thank big. you. It's big. Uh, <laughs> it's bigger than Ben Hurt. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's, uh, it's now I now I want to go to this meet. Um, but it's it sounds it sounds fun. So you mentioned you know this is kind of a to get to get 
kids in the Olympic mindset, you know, just because it's a long meet, um, it's, it's hot. Uh, you know, the, the conditions might not be ideal. Um, in terms of approaching an Olympic season, which is something you've done as a coach quite a few times now, is there, you know, in the U S we talk just from the reporting side, we talk about like, you can kind of feel the heightened senses, right? You can feel things start to ramp up. And I often ask coaches, you know, how, how they're approaching this season a little differently, whether that's a bit more aerobic training at the beginning of the season, getting more racing in, um, you know, for you, is there a certain emphasis that you try to hit, um, at any point really during this season, um, as this Olympic ramp up continues to get closer and closer? Well, I think, you know, what you've got to be careful of, in my opinion, you know, 2024, everyone gets excited in January. I think, you know, you've got to have a slow build. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had athletes and I've seen athletes before that just get, you know, overexcited, you know, with the fact that January the 1, 2020, and all of a sudden they go gangbusters. And by the time June comes around for the trials, they kind of don't, don't want to almost go to the trials. They're so over it. So I think it's just, um, you know, not holding back, but just making sure that your timing is right. Obviously, you've got to qualify for the Olympics, no matter who you are in, in any country, you've got to qualify. So um, for Australia, we've got our trials in June. So it's making sure our athletes are ready to perform well in June. And then uh, obviously five weeks after that, we've got uh, the Olympic Games on and we want to see a, a performance shift, you know, albeit whether it's big, small or whatever, we want to see a performance shift from what they did at the trials uh, through the Olympic Games. So um, I think, you know, everything um, has just got to be, like I was saying before, you know, trying to put those nine out of ten sessions together and, you know, just trying to accumulate the critical mass of the work you're doing all contributing to you getting a great result at the trials and on to the Olympics. Um, I don't think there's any sort of super secret out there. There's no sort of silver bullet. It's just, uh, you know, you turning up, uh, every session, every day, every week, every month, you know, from now through the trials and trying to do the best job you can to position yourself as best you can. Is, is there any specific way you simulate pressure for athletes or just try to simulate kind of the, that mental side of, as you said, getting up for an Olympic trials final or an Olympic final, uh, when, when you're going through this preparation again, especially in the last eight months? Yeah, I, um, I just think it's training, like, you know, trying to set up in training, uh, you know, sessions that can get the absolute best out of the athletes that you've got. Like, I think you've got to be, you know, you've got to be a little bit creative. Like, I think repeating the same stuff um, can get laborious and quite mundane for athletes. So I think as a coach, just thinking about the energy system that you're trying to overload uh, or you're trying to stress, um, and trying to come up with a different way. Um, I think, you know, the athletes appreciate uh, the variety. I think, you know, no one likes doing the same thing over and over again. And I think the problem with doing the same thing over and over again is these athletes that are at the top end are so keen to go, well, they're always comparing. Like if you're doing 850s as your, as your test set and you keep doing 850s all the time, they're very quick to go, oh, I did a better job four weeks ago and I'm swimming terrible and they start to spiral down. So I think, you've got to be able, not camouflage, but you've got to be able to come up with different challenges that, um, you know, that stimulate, uh, that get the best 
out of the athletes that you've got in your program. And um, I think that's, you know, that's what we're all trying to do, you know, trying to, you know, get them swimming fast, trying to, trying to get them to swim fast relatively often, especially in that sort of period, you know, from about April onwards, April, May, June, July is a probably critical time for me. I mean, we're doing exactly what we did last year, like last January, we didn't start working really hard in January. We did six sessions a week, uh, we did six sessions a week in week one in January. Then we went up to seven sessions a week, then eight sessions a week. Then by the fourth week of January, we were at nine sessions a week. So I think uh, that slow build in January, then we'll start to go to competitions in February. We've got the Victorian Championships. So I think, you know, you as a coach have got to come up with the model that you want in terms, not only your training, but the racing coming in as well. I think what you said before, Coleman, there about racing once a month to me is a you know, it's a good thing. I like kind of racing once a month. So we're going to go to the Victorian Championships, some of us, in uh, February. March, we've got the New South Wales Championships. April is the Australian Championships, not the trials, but the Australian Championships. Uh, May is the Sydney Open at SOPAC uh, in Sydney. And then the trials in June. So once a month, there's something there that, uh, you know, the athletes can, came, uh, can aim up for. Like, I think training for the sake of training isn't good for 200 meter people and down, like I think they need to be race fit. So competing uh, once a month to me is important for the 200 meter people and, da and uh, down. You know, maybe for the 400 meter people and up, it's probably not quite as important. It's still important, but uh, I think for the 200 meter people down, that um, you know, you get training fitness from training, but you also get racing fitness from racing. So just that exposure to pressure and you know, being able to line up at the trials feeling relaxed with the fact that you've done this a few times before in the lead up to me is a uh, is an important ingredient of the trials like you know in the precursor like going to those going to those competitions and trying to extract the best out of yourself um, and you know trying to get down to in season best times if you can or if you can't get down there as close as you can I, I, I love that you are able to in January kind of not take a break but like you said one session or six sessions a week, uh, you know, just kind of start fresh in that new calendar year. Is that a product of just trying to give your athletes some time away from the pool towards the end of summer? Uh, or is that for another reason that I am not seeing at the current moment? <laughs> I think I'd probably pick this up of Jacko. You know, um, Jacko Varanen was our uh, national head coach for quite a few years, and he sort of said, about the Olympic year and have people try and overdo it. Like I think, you know, when you've got people swimming quite well, it's it's not trying to do too much. You know, you've got to be very, very, very careful. And some of these athletes that are up in the in those medal winning positions, you know, they're on the borderline of of, of being over obsessive sometimes and trying to, you know, get, you know, squeeze too much juice out of the lemon. Like I I think you've got to be um, sometimes you've got to hold people back a little bit um you know there are people you know that i've got in my program i think that you know we'll get to january and if you don't hold them back they'll be trying to do too much too soon and you know like i was saying before you know you want them swimming fast in the middle of the year like trials is where it counts for us making sure that the athletes are, are kind of ready to go there like what you're swimming at the victorian championships in in february doesn't matter uh, it's just a meet on the road uh you know to where you're headed um, you know, I, I quite often say to the swimmers, you know, Ian thought when he was breaking more records all over the place at, at Olympic Championships, 
didn't start in February at the world record. He started slower than the world record. Each competition got a little bit better coming in. So I think that's how you need to be looking at it. Like you want to be trying to build as much as you can your performances and try and get that momentum swinging through, um, you know, through to your trials and, and then on to the Olympics from there. As a as an Australian coach, I know the trials used to be in April, and I think <laughs> they yeah. they used to be not in June. Um, how do you what do you think of that timing shift? Um, from I remember talking to James Magnuson once, and I remember him saying like he, I don't think he raced for like two months leading into the Olympic Games, and then you know it. it, it he, he got to the games and was like, wait a second, do like, do I know how to do this? You know, like I haven't, I haven't had that rehearsal um, in quite a while because the trials were pretty far apart. Yeah. I kind of don't mind either, to, you know, to be totally honest with you, like I, I think, you know, going back over the years, I think, you know, we've had good success at doing both. I can think back to 2008 with Stephanie, we had our trials, I believe in March. And okay. she swam very well in July. And, you know, we used meets like the Santa Clara meet, the Mel Zajac meet. We used to travel. Uh, we went to Mira Nostrum a couple of times as well and, and used those meets in the lead-up. So I think when you have an early trials and a 12 or a 14-week week block of work, you can do some international racing. So I think uh, that's got its merit as well. Um, but I think we had a very good result in Tokyo with the trials being five weeks out, you know, copying what the US did. And I think um, because we had such a good result, then everyone's jumped on that bandwagon. Like Jacko was the one that suggested it and we did it. Everyone was on board with it. We got some very good results from it. We did it again. Uh, Fukuoka had, had some good results there. So it seems to be working quite well for, for everyone. But to be honest with you, I don't mind either way. Like I think, you know, you look at the Brits still go early. Canada goes early. So there's still nations doing really well that are going early, but I think it's just you knowing well in advance over 12 months as a coach and as athletes, knowing what it is, whether it's an early or a late, and then you can prepare accordingly from there. As long as you've got enough time to be able to digest the decision that's been made and you can just adjust what you're doing accordingly coming in. I, I, I think that's a very reasonable approach and written. Uh, reasonable answer, but uh, Michael, I, I really appreciate you taking this time to sit down and chat with me. I've I've kept you over an hour now, so I feel bad for keeping you longer. But <laughs> thank you for for giving your time and insight. Um, any any final thoughts? Or <laughs> I, I I feel like I could have another you know keep talking for another hour. But any final <laughs> thoughts before we end this conversation today? No, I just think, you know, thank you for the opportunity of uh, speaking. It's always nice to, uh, you know, have a nice conversation with someone about swimming. I think, you know, you're obviously very passionate about your swimming. I, I listen to quite a lot of your podcasts. I won't say all of them. I don't always get on there all the time. But I think, you know, they're quite insightful listening to, you know, both athletes uh, and coaches. I think, you know, we're all learning. Um, I think uh, as soon as you think you know everything, you're on the downhill slide. So I think it's just nice to have have this avenue open where you, you know, talking to both athletes and coaches and trying to, uh, you know, get information out there. It's a good thing. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. 
You can take Swim Swim Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.